You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Today, I'm excited because we're starting a new series, and it's called this. It's called Rebuild, Renew, and Restore, and we're going through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great book. Nehemiah is a phenomenal leader. But here is what I'm believing God to do in our congregation. And it's going to be, quite, it's going to be a, a longer series than normal. Because we're going to spend some time in it. And it's going to bring us through the Christmas season. And it's going to bring us into the new year. And in the new year, in the beginning, the second week of January, I'm going to invite you guys, we'll be talking about it before then, to join with us for 21 days of prayer and fasting. God promises to do something special in his word. We'll talk about this in the future. When we come together in unity, when the church comes together in unity and we pray and we fast. And I believe that that's very significant to what God wants to do in this house and in the community. Okay, So this series is going to take us through here. And what I'm believing in the Lord for is this. Is that in this series we see God's heart toward the brokenness in our lives, in our city, in our communities, in our country, and in the world. And it's very important that we understand this. Because we become very good at identifying brokenness, but sometimes we miss hearing God's heart, and knowing God's heart, and knowing that God knows about the brokenness. And as a result, things are said in lieu of understanding and When that revelation doesn't happen, like where is God in the midst of all of this brokenness? And one thing God wants us to know is that he sees the brokenness. He sees it in your life. He sees it in your home. He sees it in your neighborhood. He sees it in your city. He sees it in our country, and he sees it in the world. And he doesn't sit there far off and say, that's a result of man's sin. It is a result of man's sin. But his heart breaks for the brokenness that you're walking through and the brokenness in our world. Nehemiah teaches us that. And then Nehemiah also teaches us that there is a solution that God has created to heal the brokenness in our lives and in our land. And it's this, that the kingdom of God must be present on the earth. It is only through the perspective and the power of the kingdom of God on the earth, that the brokenness that we feel throughout humanity can be healed. So Nehemiah teaches us that also. The third thing that Nehemiah teaches us is this. is the way the kingdom of God comes out. is when the kingdom of God is seen in our lives and identified and realized and we come under the authority and the revelation of the kingdom of God in us. So for the kingdom of God to come out, the kingdom of God's got to be in me. And that's what Nehemiah teaches us. And so listen, there's something in the book of Nehemiah for everybody, for those who look at the big picture, visionaries. I, I, I feel like I'm that kind of person. Like I love A and I love Z. But B through Y, it just bores me. I mean, I can't get there. My wife and I will joke about it because I'll come out with a grandiose idea like, you know what we can do? We can shoot fireworks off and tell people that Jesus loves them. And she'll say, well, hey, what about this, this, and this? And there's a need within the revelation of the kingdom for all of those gifts. 
So if you find yourself, like me, seeing a big picture thing, or you are a very detailed person, uh, line by line, uh, follow the plan person, Nehemiah's got you covered. Because God uses Nehemiah to go in and to do something supernatural, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down when Judah had been exiled into Babylonian captivity. And God uses them, and supernaturally, he does something that should take a huge amount of time and a relatively short amount of time. But he has to rely upon the details and leadership, but he has to trust God for the resource. And in doing so, there's a beautiful picture of what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes to the earth. Before we get started in this, I want to just define what it means when we say the kingdom of God. And I want to use Jesus' words in Matthew 10. Verse 7 and 8. Jesus said this to a group of disciples that were relatively new to his ministry. They had been following him around and, and began to accept him as Messiah. They watched Jesus do some really cool things, some miracles, and they're a little bit, their minds are a little blown. And they listen to Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus begins to flip the script on them. He begins to tell them, hey, listen, the things that you watched me do, now I'm commissioning you, I'm sending you out to do those things. But Jesus uses special language when he talks about it. He says, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is the kingdom of God. In verse 7, he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What I love about this as it comes to understanding what the kingdom of God looks like on the earth is this, is that Jesus did not say, just go ahead and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, listen, it's not alone about the words we speak. It starts there. It starts as a people who begin to declare that the kingdom of God has come, that begin to see our communities as a place where God can move our workplaces as a, as a place that God can move. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus didn't let them off the hook. He didn't just say, all you got to do is show up, knock on a door and say, good news, the kingdom of heaven is here, and then walk away. He said, no, I want you to take it a step further. I want you to stretch out your hands. I want you to be moved with compassion. I want you to see the need. I want you to see the, see the brokenness. When you look in the doorway and you see a sick person, your response is not, my heart is breaking. My response is, let me go pray because something is going to happen when the kingdom of God comes near. You get it? Something changes when the kingdom of God comes near. And so Jesus is saying, you can't just talk about it. you got to actually do it. Heal the sick. See recovery of sight come to the blind. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Woo. And you could just imagine with me what our response would be if we were those disciples on that day and Jesus was telling us that. We would go, but in our heart, we'd be going, how can we do it? And Jesus gives the answer on how the kingdom of God comes out into the earth. He says this, freely you've received. What you have, you can use. Freedom you've received, freely give. Did you see me do it? What did it feel like when I did it? What did you experience in your heart? Did you begin to believe I was the Messiah? Did you see something happening on this earth that you never thought could ever happen? 
What did you receive then? You received the message of the kingdom. You got it in you. Now give it. Now give it. Now give it. And that's Jesus' words on what the kingdom of God looks like when it touches on earth and it begins to have an effect in the places we live. It's beautiful. So back to Nehemiah. I want to just lay a little bit of groundwork on the backstory of Nehemiah so we have a bit of a foundation. And I want to encourage you to just as we go through this book to read along. If you don't know where Nehemiah is in the Bible, if you have your Bible, just open it up in the middle. You might hit Psalms, Proverbs, take a left, and you'll hit Nehemiah. If you still can't find it, go to your table of contents. It's okay. And I want to encourage you to read along with that us as we go through this. But Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah, we see something that is, is, is truly unique. Is because the story of Nehemiah throws us right in the middle of a very, very troubling, complicated story. How many of you here like enjoy going to movies? Anybody here? I don't. I don't like it. But I did go make an exception for one of my favorite movies. Now, some of you aren't going to respect me after I tell you what this was. But it's just, it's just what happens. I went and saw the new James Bond movie. Bum, 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 Bond, James Bond. I'm a James Bond fan. I love it. My wife just huffed. That is amazing. Every James Bond film starts off like the book of Nehemiah. You don't see a peaceful storyline. You see James thrust into the middle of a life or death scenario. And the purpose of those movies, when you watch those movies, if you can think of a movie like that that you've seen, is because it grabs your attention, it pulls your heart, it pulls you up, it stains you up, it puts you on the edge of your seat. And as God gives us this story of Nehemiah, it starts off the same way. It starts off in the middle of this, this horrible setting where the people of Israel are in exile, they're away from their land, and it starts off with a conversation that we're going to read in just a second, where Nehemiah is asked about the, the status, the condition of Jerusalem, and he's returned with this report that Jerusalem is devastated, the walls are decimated, and the people are more than discouraged, they're distraught. And immediately his heart breaks. There's this thing that pulls us into this, this huge picture of brokenness that's brought right before us. What led to this, this place of brokenness? The Bible tells us that the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms shortly after Solomon's reign with Solomon's son. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom held on to the name Israel. The southern kingdom held on to or get, was given the name Judah. You need to know this. You need to understand this, what's happening here. And in the 700 B.C.s, what takes place is this, is that Israel is taking cap, uh, come under captivity by the Assyrians. In 721. And then in 586 B.C., Judah comes under captivity of the Babylonian Empire. Why did this happen? Because Israel took their eyes off of God. 
Israel put their trust in man. Israel put their trust in leaders. Israel took their eyes off the law of God, off the presence of God, and they began to worship other things. And as a result, God allowed these empires to come in and to bring them into exile. They were pulled away from the place that God had called Abraham to hundreds and hundreds of years before. This promised land, this place of promise, this land that was given to them as an inheritance. And so through the exile from both sides, from Israel and Judah both, there are these, these pieces that God has put into play uh, as a kind of to keep a remnant running through, even in the midst of their exile. Guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember them? They didn't bow down to Baal. They stood up. Guys like Daniel, who God used powerfully. Esther, who saved the Jewish people, became the queen. And through this, we see Nehemiah emerging here. But what takes place in the history here of Judah and why it's significant when it comes to understanding the kingdom of God on earth is because Judah had a very powerful, beautiful city and it called Jerusalem. And the people's heart longed for Jerusalem. Let's read Nehemiah's narrative in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah gets word of what has happened in Jerusalem and his heart breaks with the brokenness of his community. But what broke his heart was more than just his favorite city being turned into rubble and being decimated and destroyed. It would be far more than hearing that, port, that happened to Port Natchez or Nederland or Groves or any of the cities we have lived in. It meant so much more. And there's a reason why. Because Jerusalem was significant for four reasons. And this is important to understand because it ties into how the kingdom of God transforms a community. The four things that Jerusalem was noted for were the temple. Jerusalem had the temple in it. The temple of Solomon that was built under Solomon's reign. It's where the presence of God existed and lived. That God said, I want to come down and be near to man. It was where the sacrifice was made for the atonement of sins. It is the basis of kingdom transformation on the earth. Because without the presence of God, nothing happens. Jerusalem hosted the presence of God. Listen, if you were going to get close to God, if you existed during that time, anywhere on the earth, you had to come to Jerusalem because that is where God rested. His presence rested. The second thing that Jerusalem had was the law. It had the law of Moses. 
And this is ultimately what trapped the Jewish people because they took their eyes off the presence of God and they put it on the fulfillment of the law. And let me tell you something. Apart from the presence of God, you cannot fulfill the law. Why? Because you can't do it in your own ability. It's only through the revelation of the righteousness of God that comes from knowing Christ Jesus. That's grace. I can't do it. I fall short. God stamps me through his love, through the sacrifice at the cross, with his grace. He gives me, imputes to me his righteousness, his ability to stand, his ability to uphold the good works that God has called me to. And as long as I am standing in grace in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, through the presence of God, through the understanding of the love of God, I can do the good works that God has called me to do. So Jerusalem had the law. The third thing that Jerusalem had was a king. Jerusalem had a king. It had authority to enact the law of God. And the fourth thing that Jerusalem had was a wall. It had a wall. And what the wall stood for there in Jerusalem was the protection of what God was laying down, his kingdom on earth. Why is that important for us? Because as we begin to ask God to say, God, can you heal our land? Maybe, maybe that's too far in front of you. Maybe you're saying, God, can you heal my marriage? God, can you heal my life? God, can you heal my neighborhood? God, when I look at this world and what's happening and I get worked up about political officials, God, can you heal our land? The model that God gave goes back to this. And the answer is always yes. But it starts with the presence of God, a people that are pursuing the presence of God. It starts there. And we're going to see that through Nehemiah. He started at a place of prayer. He started at a place of prayer. He sought the presence of God. As a people seek corporately the presence of God, God begins to do something. As we begin to seek the presence of God and fall in love with Jesus as individuals, the revelation of the thoughts of God begin to fill our hearts. We begin to see differently. It starts there. And that empowers us to live under the authority of the Word of God. Listen, you'll never be more than a conqueror. You could read that in the Word of God. You could see it where it says that in the Word, and you can say yes, but if you don't have a revelation of the love of God that comes through the presence of God, you'll never be more than a conqueror. Do you see how it starts with the presence of God when we encounter the love of Jesus? Do you see how healing for a community can come as people encounter the love of Jesus? People whose hearts are turned away from God, that are turned to sin, as they come into the revelation of what the love of God says about them, can you see it transforming their hearts? Can you see them living under a different pattern and coming under the law of God that brings life? It comes when a people stand up under the authority and the banner of King Jesus and make declarations over their cities, over their schools, over their marriages, over their children, over their homes. You see this adding together as the people come into the presence of God. As they begin to take the word of God and say, this is the truth that guides my life, what the authority of King Jesus does in our life is say, listen, this word 
governs everything around me. Have you ever thought, is there a situation, let me say it like this, is there a situation in your life that you look at as hopeless? In love, let me say this to you. That is not God's will for you. But until you have an encounter with the love of Jesus that puts you under the authority of the word and allows the authority of the word to come out of you, that situation will be hopeless. See, because God's intent is for a people to come together under those three things and to put a wall around their city that says this place is a place where the presence of God can move, where people can come and know the love of Jesus and be set free. Man, that should put a smile on your face and get you excited. So here's what happened to Nehemiah, okay? He understood that Jerusalem meant more than just a city that he loved being destroyed, but there was something significant to God's design coming forth and why the walls of Jerusalem had to be rebuilt. But in order for Nehemiah to do that, he had to understand the perspective of the kingdom. And I want you to hear this because Jesus talks about this. And this is the revelation that has to be birthed in our heart. Please, please hear what I'm saying right now because this is really important. I know that I'm giving a lot of information, but I, I want you to hear this. This is Nehemiah chapter 1. Because there are three different perspectives that we can hold about the kingdom. We can hold the perspective that the kingdom is still yet to come. And it is. There is a day that Jesus will split the heavens and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that the kingdom will be reestablished on the earth. That day is coming. It has not yet come. It is coming. And then there is also a perspective that says that the kingdom of God is transcendent, meaning that it means that it hovers over all, that, that even though we see stuff happen here, we know that God's in control. It's Psalm chapter 2. Where the psalmist David writes, he says, He who sits in the heavens laugh as the kings plot and the nations rage. He who sits in the heavens laughs. That's the transcendent kingdom. Meaning that it is above, it rules all things, even though we might not see it on earth right now. But the third perspective of the kingdom is what Nehemiah grabbed a hold of. And this is where city transformation and transformation in our life comes from. And what we have to grab. It's this, it's the imminent kingdom. It's the kingdom that is coming upon us and in us now. The kingdom now in us. Jesus talked about this. Let me show you. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. Jesus finds himself in a common crowd that he, he, he would come in contact with regularly as he began to teach. He would have the haters and the followers. Haters hate. The Pharisees were haters. They hated on him. They came up, they tried to trick and trap Jesus. They were like, just waited for him to make a mess up. And here they found themselves in a position of asking again because they held the perspective of the, the kingdom that is still to come, the kingdom of God that's in the future. And they asked Jesus this. Once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst, or translated, in you. Jesus said it. The kingdom of God is in you. 
And then he turns to his disciples and he says to them, he goes, you guys are going to long for the day to see the Son of Man, Jesus, reappear. And there's going to be people that say, he's coming now, he's going to come then. He says, don't listen to him because the Son of Man is going to come like lightning bolt, like a thief in the night. He's going to come quickly. And Jesus addresses all three perspectives And he puts them on point with the reality of where the kingdom of God needs to be right now. Yes, we hold to the hope of the kingdom of God coming and restoring all things. And yes, there is a transcendent king where God rules all things. But what Jesus said is this. Stop looking out there and stop looking down there. Look in here because I'm putting the kingdom in you. See, it's not going to be observed, meaning it's not going to be able to be seen outside of you. It's going to be seen inside of you. It's not happening outside of you. It's happening inside of you. And in order for us to say, God, we want the kingdom, and this is what Nehemiah does. This is what Nehemiah does. In order for us to say, God, we want the kingdom of God on the earth that begins to transform, radically transform the world around us, whether it's your own home, your neighborhood, or the city. We have to say, God, give us the revelation of the kingdom of God in us. Give us the revelation of the kingdom of God in us. This is what happened to Nehemiah. In order for Nehemiah to gain this perspective, because he was in exile, he was standing before the king. He had held a prominent position in the king of Persia, answered, uh, Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes of of Persia. That's a tongue twister. He was a cupbearer. He was a cross between a very trusted official and a bartender. He was a guy who obviously had a lot of, of authority because he stood next to the king, but his responsibility was to bring the cup before the king to make sure that nobody poisoned it. He would sip from it. He would take it. He would present it. He was trusted, but he was a bartender. And see, here's what happens with Nehemiah. Nehemiah sees himself, and and the Scripture says this, that that place that Nehemiah was sitting, he wasn't sitting in a comfortable place. He wasn't sitting on the hillside looking down at Jerusalem, dreaming of what it could be. No, he was actually in the living room of the enemy. He was sitting in the capital city of Persia, the people that had brought them into exile. It's called a citadel, a stronghold. He was sitting in a stronghold as a cupbearer. And God began to transform and make the revelation of the kingdom inside of Nehemiah something that was real to him. Here's what we can get from this. I want you to see this. In order for the kingdom of God to be in us, the first thing that has to happen is that we have to be able to see the reality of our community. The reality of your life, the reality of your home. And this involves seeing brokenness and hurt. We have to see brokenness and hurt. Some of you say, no, I don't don't want to touch that. You cannot touch the things you cannot identify. You cannot change the things that you do not acknowledge. Your heart has to break for the brokenness of your life, your community, your city, and this country. You've not been called to be a critic. 
You have not been called to be somebody that sits on the outside and observes only. God is asking you if the revelation of the kingdom is going to be inside of you, that your heart begins to break for the brokenness and the hurt of the things around you. As I was preparing for this and just the Lord was speaking to me, when I youth pastored in this church years ago for seven years, and uh, some of the young people that I, I youth pastored are still here today. One of the drummers, Bo Denslinger. Love Bo. Um, Bo, are you still here? You're gone. He left. No, I don't know where he's at. And I love Bo. I remember when Bo came into the youth group, didn't know Jesus, and God radically changed his heart. He wasn't part of a family that really understood some of the things about the Lord. And God began to change his heart. And I remember as a youth pastor, listen, I just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be, just going to, I realized God didn't really create me with the second and third gear. So I'm not trying to overpower anybody, but I, I want you to feel this thing. I want you to feel this. That my heart used to break for the high school. And I used to drive by and I used to say, God, can that stadium be filled up for your glory? And I used to sit and look at young people and say, you're world changers. And they grabbed a hold of it. They began to look at their school as a place to reach their friends. And they started doing it radically. And as I was preparing for that, listen, God said, Andy, you've got to begin to see this city the same way. And my eyes very honestly got opened up. And I realized in this community that God has placed us in by His Spirit. That there's brokenness even around us. That the only, that the PNG High School and the Woodcrest and the schools around here are not the only schools that exist with, in our neighborhood. That two blocks down the street is an alternative high school. Where students go when they break the rules. And here, listen, I'm just going to throw this out, but I just don't believe it's an accident that God situated us here. I don't believe that there's, it's an accident that, that there's brokenness around us, but listen, brokenness around us will never change if our eyes are not open to it. If our heart can't break with God's heart as he sees it. Because if our hearts won't, won't break for brokenness, the world will never believe that God's heart breaks for brokenness. It doesn't stop there. Nehemiah's heart broke. He saw the hurt and it broke. But it didn't stop there. Two amazing things happened because God does not leave us in a place where all we see is brokenness. He opens our eyes to brokenness so that we can see hope. And here's what happened for Nehemiah. He saw God moving in unexpected places, and he saw God moving in unexpected people. And that's every person here, including myself. See, because from that citadel in the capital city of Persia, he saw God moving. God began to, to show his heart those walls being rebuilt. And I'm going to read to you a prayer that he prayed in just a second as a key to saying, God, how do we put this all together and start running with this? But in chapter 2, we're going to see this 
Actually, at the very end of chapter 1, Nehemiah makes this huge, huge, bold profession that lets us know that he was expecting God to do something through him. Because he understands this, that God wants to move in unexpected places, meaning he wants to move in your home. He wants to move in your workplace that you don't like right now. He wants to move in your schools that you don't think there's hope. He wants to move in our country that we might think is hopeless. He wants to move in unexpected places. And he will if unexpected people will step up and say, God, I'm ready. My heart's broken, and I know that you've called me to be hope. See, because this cupbearer acknowledges that he was created for something more to be transformational, to make a difference, to see the kingdom restored. (laughs) I love it. Here's how it happened. Justin, come on up, bud. All right. This is the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. In Nehemiah 1, 5 through 10. This is after he got the report. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled, people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people from whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Listen to this. I was a cupbearer to the king. Here's what Nehemiah did, and this is what we need to do. Every one of us need to do today. Again, some of you are facing brokenness in your homes. And I understand you say, listen, pastor, I, don't, I can't see outside of my home. And I say, okay, that's okay. Because God can use this right here, the revelations were to bring healing in your home. To bring the kingdom near to your home. And listen, that's where it has to start for you. But every person here is attached somehow into the brokenness of your neighborhood or your city. And you have to see it. And what Nehemiah did first is so important and is critical. Is that he humbled his heart. He humbled his heart and he prayed. He fasted. And here's what his humility did. Is the first thing it did is it made him aware of who God was. 
And you hear this in his prayer because he begins to pray. and He says, to you, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Immediately, Nehemiah realized that the objective of bringing the kingdom to earth was not going to be fulfilled through his own power, his own talent, his own resources, his, his own plans. But it was going to come when he humbled himself before God and said, you are the one who keeps your covenant of love because you love people. Because you love people. Because you see it. Because it's on your heart. You're the one. You're the source. You're the source of healing. You're the source of life. You're the source of restoration. You're the source of peace. You're the source of freedom. The second thing that the humility did was it made Nehemiah aware of who he was. And he started out with a confession. And, and listen, this confession is very important because he acknowledged his shortcoming. And not just his shortcoming, but the shortcoming of his people. And I just want to put this in front of you that I believe that there is something very important and honoring about God's people coming and saying, listen, we're not isolating ourselves to say that we're separate from the problems of the world. But what we're saying is this, God, as a people, we fall short. And we're sorry. Because Nehemiah took the responsibility of those who have failed and he said, listen, it's only going to come back around. The kingdom is only going to come back down and begin to heal our country, to begin to heal our city. When we understand who you are and who we are. For some of you, listen, just declare grace, 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 grace over you in the name of Jesus. But for some of you that are saying, I got to start in my home. This act of confession and repentance is critical to say, God, listen, maybe I tried this in my own strength. Maybe I did things that, that broke us up, maybe more than put us together. And I'm sorry because you are the source of healing in my marriage. You are the source of restoration in my children. And I am sorry. I am sorry. I need you. I am dependent upon you. Because the next thing that happens is this. After the act of humility, Nehemiah acknowledged the hurt around him and said, God, you care about this. Meaning this, that I know that you have a divine solution to fix it. God, I, I know that you have a solution to fix my marriage. I know you have a solution to fix the brokenness in the apartments inside of me. God, I know you love those kids. That alternative is cool. There's world changers that can change. Second part of that was says, God, Nehemiah said, God, break my heart. Give me eyes to see my life as a solution. And this is this is what this is what does it. This is what sets this thing off. Boom, baby. So he goes and he closes his prayer and he says, 
Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You know who that man was? The king. He said, God, you didn't call me to sit around. No, you broke my heart for a reason. I wasn't crying tears because I was sad. I was crying tears because you wanted to make a change. God, I'm not fasting because because I don't think you can do something. God, I'm fasting because there's a solution, and I want the right one. God, I know you're going to do something. All of a sudden, he's like, hey, I'm going to go talk to the king. I'm going to go get the material. I'm going to go rebuild those walls. I'm going to go do that. And he closes it off, and he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. You see that? You see that? He saw his position that God had put him in, and he said, listen, all of a sudden, From the unexpected places to the unexpected people, God is going to move. I don't care if you're 80. I don't care if you're 8. God wants the kingdom of God to come through you to bring transformation where you are. And if you will say, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart and begin to move me with the solution and put my life in the direct crosshairs to say, you will use me, God will begin to move through you. Because there's not an unexpected place or an unexpected person that God can't move through. He will move through you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, Nehemiah, this is going to be fun. We've got some weeks of this. Nehemiah gets a plan. Nehemiah gets a purpose. Nehemiah learns how to overcome fear. Nehemiah learns how to overcome opposition. And God does something that should, again, should have taken months and months and months and years, and he does it supernaturally. And I believe that for you. Listen, and I want you to hold on. I want you to hang out. I want you to get committed to this. I want you to lock in because, listen, you are not created for ordinary. And if your life is ordinary or if it's in a rut, that's not God's plan. It's bigger. The kingdom of God is in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just thank you. Listen, let's just do this right where we are. If you feel comfortable, it's a little different, but we're just going to make where we stand, where we are right now, our altar. And I just want you to feel comfortable to lift your hands. Just say, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you've made me. That you've made me and positioned me. I acknowledge it, God. I see where you put me. I see where you put me. And God, I know that you've called me to, to bring the kingdom of God, Lord, out. Lord, in the place that you've put me, in my home, in my city. Lord, let my heart be broken, the things that break your heart. But God, let my heart see your kingdom moving through me right now. Lord, just begin to drop hope in our hearts. Begin to show us, Lord, what our communities look like when your spirit touches it, when the kingdom of God comes and kisses our cities. Yes, Lord. When it begins to touch down in our marriages, in our homes, with our children, God, let us begin to see it. Lord, let us begin to see it because, God, we're committing to it. We're saying, use us, God. Lord, we're throwing off every excuse that says, listen, we're incapable, we're not able. No, God, we're saying that we are. Because of your spirit moving through us, Lord, you're the source. You're the source. God, we're sorry for taking things in our own control, under our own control, in our own hands. We're sorry for trying to figure stuff out. 
Lord, we repent of that. We repent from dead works. And God, we thank you for the revelation of your grace. Lord, we thank you for the power supernaturally that comes from who you are. Lord, that empowers us by your spirit to do what you've called us to do. We receive that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for making a huge impact, Lord, in this community, in this county, Lord, through this church, that God, let every person here see themselves, even in a, in a, in a very cool way, God, of their, their footprint being so much bigger, Lord, than their natural footprint. Lord, let them see themselves making a huge impact. Lord, let them see, the, see their streets and their, their communities differently, Jesus, we pray. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, we love you. Here's what I want you to do is I want you just to spend a minute and I want you just to love on somebody on your way out. Because, listen, you are in a beautiful family here at Freedom Christian Fellowship. And God has called us to do great things and we are going to do great things as we see those who are in captivity set free. We love you all so much.